Chapter 9 of The Goddess of Akvatbar by William Richard Bradshaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nigel Fisher. Afloat on the Interior Ocean. As the Polar King sped southward over the interior sea, the wonders of the strange world we had discovered began to dawn upon us. The colossal vault rose more and more above us, and the sun threw his mild and vertical rays directly upon ship and sea, producing a most delightful climate. The ocean had a temperature of 75 degrees Fahrenheit, and the air 85 degrees. We were absolutely sailing upside down to an inhabitant of the outer sphere, yet we seemed to ourselves to be sailing naturally erect on a sea with the sun above us. Our first experience in the internal sphere was that of a sudden storm. The sun grew dark and appeared like a disk of sombre gold. The ocean was lashed by a furious hurricane into incredible amounts of water. Every crest of the waves seemed a mass of yellow flame. The internal heavens were rent open with gulfs of sulphur-coloured fire, while the thunder reverberated with terrible concussions. The ship would spin upon the water as though every wave were a whirlpool. A golden-yellow phosphorescence covered the ocean. The water boiled in maddening eddies of lemon-coloured seas, while from the hurricane decks streamed cataracts of saffron fire. The lightning, like streaks of molten gold, hurled its burning darts into the sea. Everything bore the glow of amber-coloured fire. The sailors congratulated themselves on the shelter provided by the deck overhead. The motion of the ship exceeded all former experiences, for it leapt and plunged in a terrific manner. It was a question whether we would survive the storm or not, so violent was the shaking up both ship and men received. Fortunately, the loss of weight in everything, which was the cause of the rapid motion, permitted no more damage than would be caused by a lesser storm on heavier objects. The professor stated that he believed the tempest was occasioned by a polar tidal wave of air rushing into the interior sphere to supply the exhaustion caused by the outgoing warm currents, owing perhaps to a periodical overheating of air by the internal sun. When a certain volume of air was expelled, so that it could no longer resist external pressure, then the external air rushed down the polar gulf, creating by meeting warm outward-flowing currents cyclones such as we were then experiencing. By degrees the storm abated, the sea grew calm, the heavens above us became clearer, and the sun assumed the rose colour he first presented to our gaze, standing right in the zenith. The only damage done to the crew was a few broken limbs and some severe bruises, the ship had lost several spars, and one of her boats was blown out of its lashings on the deck and was lost. It was a week since we had left the outer world, and what a change had occurred in that short space of time. The excitement had been so intense that not a man of us had slept during that period, and as for meals, we had forgotten about them altogether. A general order was given the cooks to prepare a banquet to duly inaugurate our discovery of the new world. Both officers and men, including myself, sat down at the same table, where we satisfied the cravings of a week's hunger. I expressed my heartfelt pleasure in the safety of the crew and ship so far in making so tremendous a discovery. I relied on the courage and loyalty of the crew for still further explorations in the strange and mysterious planet we had discovered. I declared that those who shared the dangers of the expedition would also share in whatever reward fortune might bestow upon us. It is needless to say such sentiments were enthusiastically applauded. I praised my able co-adjudicator, Captain Wallace, without whose skilful seamanship not a soul of us could ever have reached that secret world. It was he, said I, who has guided us without a chart through five hundred miles of polar ocean to the realms of Pluto, to Plutosia, the interior world. 
On him again we must depend for a safe exit when our explorations are ended. Flathootly attempted to make a speech, but, like the rest of the company, fell asleep, and in less than half an hour afterward not a soul remained awake, excepting Professor Starbottle and myself. We both struggled against sleep long enough to take a survey of the internal sphere. The polar king floated on the wide bosom of the sea, underneath the perpendicular sun that lit all Plutasia with its beams. With our telescopes we discovered oceans, continents, mountain ranges, lakes, cities, railroads, ships and buildings of all kinds spread like an immense map on the concave vault of the earth overhead. It was a sight that alone amply repaid us for the discovery of so sublime a sphere. We thought what a cry of joy would electrify both planets when through our instrumentality they first knew of each other's existence. We alone possessed the tremendous secret. Then what possibilities of commerce, what keen and glorious revelations of art, what unfolding of the secrets of nature each would find in the other, what inventions rival nations would discover in either world, and here for the outer world what seemed possible mountains of gold, what quarries of jewels, what means of empire and joy and love. But such thoughts were too vast for wearied souls. We were stunned by such conceptions, and, yielding to nature, sank into a dreamless sleep. End of chapter 9